people are on our list, seeing what is painful dukkha as pleasant sukha. And that's, you know, something which needs to be corrected. And, uh, and how can that be corrected? Just in, you know, what we spoke about already, the whole retreat and then all retreats really, is to pay attention to particular features of our experience, which we usually don't pay attention to because we are so glued on pleasant, have more pleasant and have less unpleasant. And then, you know, we are completely under the spell of that and everything else is kind of hidden in plain sight. And the teaching of the Buddha gives us, you know, some guidance how we can start to look at those features of experience, which if they are really understood and integrated, they liberate us from dukkha, which you know, is a, a word which consists of two parts. And the first part of the word do means something like bad or ill-fitting or not in the center. It's uh, found also in ancient Indian literature and, you know, meaning unpleasant, painful, sorrow, distress, grief, misery, discomfort, suffering, stress. So the whole spectrum from very light uh, feeling of dissatisfaction to real complete despair and so on. And then the second part of the word is ka, and that means originally sky or space or hole. And in this context, it can also mean axle hole, the, you know, the hole in the center of a wheel where the axle needs to be inserted in order for that wheel, you know, to uh, carry a burden. And it means basically uh, an axle which is ill-fitting in the axle hole, and therefore it's a bumpy ride or like a wobbly ride. And our lives are bumpy rides. I think you have all noticed that's probably where you come. And some bumps are really, really intense and others are just like annoying and everything in between, and the seeing what is painful dukkha as pleasant sukha is, you know, is one way of looking at our experience, looking it straight in the eye, you know, in terms of the first noble truth, just stating the fact that there is dukkha, and it's not uh, inherent in phenomena, but it is a result of our expectations, of our craving and clinging. So, you know, if you're trying to nail down a river, you will not succeed. And the same thing, you know, if we're going to try to nail down some pleasant situation and not wanting it to change, then that's how we are creating suffering. It's not inherent in the situation, but it's, in, it is the result of craving and clinging. And that's something, you know, to understand. And that's, you know, basically that's called the elephant footprint of the Buddhist teaching, which is the four noble truths. The first noble truth 
just simply the statement, there is suffering or there is dukkha. And the second one is the origin of dukkha is craving and clinging. And then the end of dukkha is letting go of craving and clinging. And then there is the noble eightfold path of practice, which you know leads us towards increasing letting go of clinging. So that's like the elephant footprint it's called in the in the suttas. And I have brought a a, a book by my first teacher Arjun Buddha Dasa. It's called Heartwood of the Bodhi Tree. And I'd like to read it out because it's very suitable for this time of COVID in a way. And this was written many years ago, but he speaks about, uh, you know, graving and clinging as a term. So I'd like to read it. It's about a page. So he was a, a forest master in the south of Thailand with whom I started to practice in 1988. And then he passed away in 1993. Oh, yeah, and there's a picture of him in the Katanyutu hut. Yeah. On the left-hand side, actually. When you come in straight, it's on the left side. So the chapter is called The Spiritual Doctor, because Buddha will, is compared here with the spiritual doctor. There's a passage in the Machimanikaya where someone approached the Buddha and asked him, whether he could summarize his teaching in one phrase and, if he could, what would it be? The Buddha replied that he could and he said, Sabe Dhamma Nalam Abhini Visaya. Sabe Dhamma means all things, Nalam means should not be, and Abhini Visaya means to be clung to. Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. Then the Buddha emphasized this point by saying that whoever had heard this core phrase had heard all of Buddhism. Whoever had put it into practice had practiced all of Buddhism. And whoever had received the fruits of practicing it had received all the fruits of Buddhism. Now, if anyone realizes the truth of this point, that there is not a single thing that should be clung to, then they have no term to cause the diseases of greed, hatred, and delusion, or of wrong actions of any kind, whether by body, speech, or mind. The germ will not be let in, or if it is allowed in, it will be destroyed. The germ will not spread and cause the disease because it is continually destroyed by the antibody. There will be an absolute and perpetual immunity. This, then, is the heart of Buddhism, of all Dhamma, Nothing whatsoever should be clung to. Sabe, Dhamma, Nalam, Abhinivesaya. A person who realizes this truth is like someone who has an antibody that can resist and destroy a disease. It's impossible for him or her to suffer from the spiritual disease. However, for ordinary people who don't know the heart of Buddhism, it's just the opposite. They even lack the slightest immunity. By now, you probably understand the spiritual disease and the doctor who heals it. 
but it's only when we see that we ourselves have the disease that we become really serious about healing ourselves and in the right way too. Before we didn't notice our sickness, we just enjoyed ourselves as we pleased. We are like people unaware that they have some serious illness who just indulge in pleasure-seeking without bothering to seek any treatment until it's too late. Then they die of their disease. We won't be that foolish. We will follow the Buddha's instruction. Don't be heedless. Be perfect in heedfulness. So that's Ajahn Buddha Dasa. And there's actually three kinds of dukkha mentioned in the scriptures. And I just want to go over that a little bit. The first one is the suffering of suffering. It's called in Pali dukkha dukkha. So that's physical and mental pain, such as old age sickness and death and distress. From that, you know, which is not desirable. And the second one is the suffering of change, vipari nama dukkha. So that's the fact, you know, that pleasant or happy experiences change to be unpleasant when the causes and conditions which have produced the pleasant experience are changing. So, for example, you know, we are. Let's say we are eating our favorite dish, and then at one point, you know, if you have eaten three plates of it, it starts to get really unpleasant. So that's this kind of a dukkha. And then the last one is the all-pervasive suffering, which is called sankhara dukkha. That's the simply the dukkha of of conditioned experience, the basic unsatisfactoriness, you know, pervading all of existence because of the constant change. And uh, and because of that constant change, you know, those phenomena can't be um, relied on, can't be controlled, can't be possessed. But we can, you know, enjoy them in the moment if they are pleasant, but then we need to let them go. And uh, and the suffering itself is not inherent in the phenomena, but it's the result of clinging. And that's why we can liberate ourselves from it. Because if it would be inherent in the phenomena, then we wouldn't stand a chance to do anything about it. But because it's the result of clinging, we can train the mind. We can, you know, show the mind in the meditation certain features of experience which are usually overlooked. And the meditation instructions, you know, for inside meditation, vipassana, you know, we are using our mind when the mind is reasonably, um, you know, stable, and then we turn it towards impermanence, for example. And that, as I spoke about yesterday, you know, and then if the mind really intimately experiences impermanence, it adapts. It just simply, you know, lets go for a moment or it just, you know, more and more washes away the craving and clinging through simple reality check, really. And then, 
you know, can allow endings. And even, you know, can, can see that there's a peace in endings. And start to understand, you know, nature isn't out to get us in any way or do anything negative to us. This is just the way things are. We, and then we, you know, take all of that, what's happening, like old age, sickness and death and everything else, you know, which we don't like. We don't take it so personal anymore. It's just the way it is. It's just part of the deal, you know, of being a human being. And it has a potential to liberate us from clinging. So, you know, and then what we need to come to grips with is our addiction to comfort, you know, on uh, all levels. And, you know, just starting to understand that uh, that's not the most important thing in life. We do need a certain amount of comfort in order to be able to practice you know, the, our body and minds that they can operate. That is no question about this, even in the suttas that's mentioned. But, you know, once a certain level is, is there, is it really necessary to kind of, you know, cram up our life with constantly wanting more. Is that really the way uh, out, or is it just like a distraction? And, you know, a really dangerous distraction, because in the vein of that, we also, you know, make this planet more and more in, in inhabitable for ourselves and many other species. So it, it's not a small thing, really, actually. And as we saw in the meditation, you know, we never really cut the umbilical cord towards uh, Earth. And you know, all of those challenges, the, the limitations of existing on a planet like this with a, a limited biosphere, the limitations, they, you know, we can either think this is all kind of a curse and we want to go and terraform Mars or something like this, or we can just accept that that's the, you know, that's the environment which we have in order to grow in Dhamma, you know, by really taking an interest and, and seeing ourselves as part of something much bigger than ourselves where we can contribute something. And the more, you know, we are freeing our mind from uh, greed, hatred, and delusion, the more we are capable to really contribute something and have also like a sense of, of happiness which comes from that, you know. A happiness, you know, which can't be paid with money, but a happiness which comes from, you know, just doing the right thing, really. So this vulnerability, you know, of ours, this vulnerability of our bodies and of our minds is, is a potential which we can use. And uh, the word blessing, you know, has the same root as the word blessure, which is a French word, but also used in German, which means wounding. 
because that wounding, you know, that is a is a blessing also because it's a it's it's an opening, you know, where something can come through. And you know, that's really our only chance now, you know, living here, and you know, it's closing in ever more uh, extreme around us, you know, and there's nothing we can do about changing that because that's just like the way it is but we can uh, relate to all of this in a different way that's our only chance and at the same time also you know we are we are growing up and you know growing up spiritually means letting go letting go of all of those expectations you know of having uh you know being able to be children forever You know, not needing to take responsibility for our actions. So, so growing in a greater and deeper humanity, you know, which we have all the um, basic equipment for that. And the word homo sapiens, sapiens means, uh, you know, the word sapere actually means, uh, in Latin means to taste. So to be really intimate with uh, the way things are, like a, a baby, you know, when they can't yet communicate, whatever they want to get to know, they put it in their mouth. You know, that's like an automatic thing what they do because that's the closest they can get to kind of encompass what, what is it. And meanwhile, you know, we don't do that anymore so much, but we we have other tools and meditation is one of those tools so we can really become intimate with our experience and through that we will change because the mind adapts. When it sees truth, it adapts. And another word, yoni somani sakara means, you know, radical or a wise attention, paying attention to our experience and it comes, you know, there's the word yoni in it, which means womb. And so that means yoni so means, you know, to go back to the source where it all begins. To this direct contact before we have added a million uh, me and mine stories on top of it. And that's what the meditation, you know, wants to support us in, to be able to do this. And not see everything always only from the standpoint of, what I want and me and mine and all of that stuff. And, you know, we can know it, but not kind of insisting on that being the only important information because that's just creates so much suffering. So, you know, taking like a, you know, a humble stance without desperation. You know, trying to be as fully with our experience and knowing, you know, that it's never going to be permanently as we want it to be in terms of our ego. But we can really, you know, we can wash away that those expectations of the ego through reality checks again and again. And then through that, you know, to 
support our minds to open more and more. And there's also this beautiful um, sutta about the lump of salt. You know, if, if we have a glass of water and we put in a big lump of salt and we drink it, it's going to taste pretty terrible. But then, you know, if the container where we put the lump of salt in is as big as Lake Tahoe, for example, then it doesn't really matter, you know. And that's what we can do with our minds. We can, you know, leave our minds as small as this cup or we can really work through all of those limitations and opening the mind, you know, more and more. And then we can just allow the things to be as they are. And at the same time, we have creative and non-egomanic ideas and and contributions to give, you know, to this world. Knowing, you know, it's we can't fix it, but trying with all our might to do what we can, to contribute, knowing that at the same time also it is beneficial, you know, for our own development, because we need to live what we know to be true in order for it to really, you know, take root in our mind and change us. So that's been my little talk about the second vipalasa, seeing what is painful dukkha as pleasant sukha. And now we can just, you know, take the remaining uh, 20 or 30 minutes for another sit. And, you know, finding a posture you can sustain for about 30 minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.